This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 16th of October 2023 at home in Wicklow. And it was recorded late on the 16th of October, Irish time, which means it was early on the 17th of October in Australia. And that is significant to the last section of today's episode and the reason why will become clear when you listen so this is an episode about highs and lows lows and highs joy and pain individual and collective and the journey is from recent rugby agony for the irish nation um the journey starts there and it ends up with a very significant moment in my life which i will uh, talk to you about later on and between those two extremes um i talk about a couple of movies i recently watched on our beloved netflix good old netflix throwing up some some good stuff to watch if you uh, can sift through the less compelling content so um yeah a couple of good movies um they are last night in soho and fair play fair play um amazingly not an irish movie considering how fond we are of that phrase in ireland fair play to you huh fair play to you lads and fair play to you for choosing this podcast thank you very much I hope you enjoy what you hear. I will see you around the corner. Cheers. Ooh, not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream behind. Keep my Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. Welcome back. If you are a return visitor to this land. And welcome very welcome indeed if it's your first time thank you thank you for coming to visit maybe stay a while look around feel the place out see what you think but i'm very glad to have your company for the next hour or thereabouts so this week's episode i'm trying to think who sang that song who sang that song joy and pain sunshine and rain <laughs> some 90s hip-hop slash dance was was it soul to soul i'm not sure anyway i think this episode is going to be about joy and pain but perhaps not in that order um so yes where to begin where to begin on installment 126 of this very personal exploration of trying to cope with life, trying to understand life, trying to continuously examine and legislate and scrutinize and gain greater tools that might enable a fraction of 
acceptance. <laughs> that's um, is it, that's not asking too much, is it? That's not asking too much. This is this is wellness with attitude. This is wellness rooted in authenticity. Dare I say that word? Does this sound authentic? Do I sound authentic? What does that even mean? How can it? How can it be truly authentic? Everything is put through some kind of filter. Everything is presented and processed in some way. Nothing arrives truly raw and naked. I mean, would you want that? Truly? Ask yourself, would you really want that? I think not. But be that as it may, I do try to ground this thing, this ongoing projet, as they say, en France. Uh, I do try to ground it in something close to my reality, something honest, not always perfectly formed. In fact, rarely perfectly formed. And I continue to lean into it. This longitudinal study, as I've recently taken to calling it. Okay, so. It is a couple of days since Ireland as a nation held its breath and spent a fraught, fraught Saturday night racked with nerves and anticipation hoping beyond hope that our national rugby team would triumph for the first time in the quarterfinal of the Rugby World Cup. This team of ours, this group of young men, these warrior sportsmen had set a very high bar. They are are they still? Are they still the world, num- the world's number one side? They've been playing the best rugby of their lives, of their careers, and have defeated all who came before them. But this, this monkey on their back, this quarterfinal curse, was this going to be the moment? that we cast it off was this going to be the moment that we finally triumphed that we finally unlocked this thing where we finally found a way through that barrier that door of the fortress were we going to do it with this extraordinary collection of rugby talent full of heart, full of pride, full of spirit and courage, skill, technique, collective savvy, collective, yes, spirit. Unfortunately, heartbreakingly, devastatingly, we failed to do it. And... It's an extraordinary thing. It's an extraordinary thing to realize 
you're grieving over a sporting event, over a sporting defeat, a sporting failure, and you are in a state of shock, in a state of denial, disbelief, and are looking for answers. Why? And it is, it is a form of grief. Um, and I know this form of grief pales, pales by comparison to other events that are transpiring around the world. Other events in places like Ukraine, other events in places like Gaza and Israel. I mean, I know, I know, I know that this is not the same deal at all. And yet I am not here to delegitimize this pain that Irish sports fans are feeling at the moment. Irish rugby fans and my own my own sort of area of inquiry was why does this hurt so much? <laughs> what, what is it about this that gets inside my heart and gets inside my head and takes all the wind out of my sails and leaves me yeah flat so flat so low just so disconsolate um it's it, it's it's an extraordinary thing caring for a sports team um no it's really interesting it's um i've been trying to work it out and i know one part of the pain is about identity it is about national pride it is about being being poked in a wound a wound that i think is always close enough to the surface in in the irish national psyche you know it's that wound of unworthiness that wound of not being good enough um and mostly i think in ireland we're very good at keeping that in perspective and laughing it off almost um and there's a very dark humor uh that we enjoy um which is uh you know it's, it's such a it's such an obvious coping mechanism there's very little that we we can't turn into a joke um it is it is gallows humor and there's a there's a there's a healthy aspect to that um you know there's a, a sardonic honesty about it um and sometimes it's not that healthy sometimes it's it's deflection and dissociation and avoidance and they are not things i value when talking about well-being um but 
I was trying to contextualize this 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 particular pain um this pain of watching Ireland um fall at the you know to to, to the to the to the All Blacks and the All Blacks of course historically have always been a dominant force in in world rugby and have won more than any other country in the that um privileged group of of countries that consider themselves the top tier of rugby playing nations but Ireland have had quite a bit of joy playing the All Blacks in recent years and have put in some good uh, put in some great victories against the All Blacks and maybe none more significant than travelling to New Zealand last year and winning a series of games in New Zealand against the All Blacks which is a very very rare occurrence in rugby and the perception was that the All Blacks were were faltering, that the All Blacks were not quite what they once were, uh, and you know, and I and I mean that this is specific to this squad of the last few years, um, and Ireland had ascended the ranks um, on the back of a seventeen game unbeaten run um, but of course when you rise to the top you have a target on your back and when New Zealand came out the other night to play yes they uh, had the eye of the tiger there was a glint in their eyes and this is a culture within rugby that knows how to win that knows how to get the job done that knows what to bring in these clutch games, these clutch moments. And as great as we have been, we, Ireland, as great as we have been, we have not succeeded um, at this stage of the World Cup ever. And it's, it's a torturous repetition to find ourselves there again with a team that is arguably the best team we've ever had at the World Cup and the best team in the best form um, and this amazing synergy that happened between the team and Irish fans who travelled to the various stadia in France to support them and cheer them on um was something else and it just felt this time like there was a sort of momentum and a, a rightness to Ireland advancing at last to the semi-final stages and perhaps beyond but the All Blacks had a, a different a different narrative um, and even though we even though it was a great game of rugby, thrilling, nerve-wracking, nail-shredding, stomach-turning, um, they prevailed and we did not. And certain players, particularly Johnny Sexton, 
the captain, 38 years old. Um, that was it. That was their last chance. Maybe other players like Bundy Aki, who played out of his skin. Peter O'Mahony, perhaps. Keith Earls. These are stalwarts of the Irish game. Bundy Aki, I think he's a native New Zealander, who um, is one of a group of players who play for Ireland on a overseas players rule and gained um you know the 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 license to represent the Irish national side by virtue of living in Ireland. Um and he's been he's been phenomenal and just seems like such a great guy. Um a real heart on his sleeve competitor plays with so much passion and played brilliantly in this tournament tournament. Um and that was that was what I was kind of latching on to was this idea that when when a team is really in the right place, when the energy is right, when all the vibes are right, um, it's really, really hard not to get caught up in that. Um, and, you know, personally, I was very nervous all week long in anticipation of that match. And... I felt very uneasy about it. Now it wasn't it wasn't a pessimism. It wasn't we're not gonna win, but it was like I know this is gonna be a real scary match <laughs> and the stakes couldn't be higher. And I just had this sort of ominous sense of dread that the all blacks were gonna come out and deliver in a way that they haven't in the last few years. And that did really proved to be the difference they put out what's been regarded as their best performance their best competitive performance in four or five years and i can look at that and go that's amazing because clearly their fear of the irish team or their respect for the irish team their recognition of the danger of the irish team made them raise their own game to um, a frenetic level of competitiveness and I think our own what it looked like to me was our our own nerves got the better of us and let the All Blacks sort of dominate early on and we were chasing the game for the entirety of the match but we kept coming back with each punch they threw we had one of our own Um, but there's there's something that increases the level of of care as a sports fan the level of passion the level of you know manic fervent support uh, and love of the team when those conditions that I mentioned before are there those vibes that energy the, the the rightness of of all the signs um and dynamics around and within the team and i think that was really really the case with this team and the, the you know there, there's there's a difference there's a huge difference when that's not really there like it, it, I think it's 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 palpable 
when a team is not giving off that energy when things you know things aren't quite right and you know there is like as i said i used the word synergy before like that kind of symbiotic um relationship um that can happen or that like you know the, the symbiotic kind of energy dynamic that transpires between players and fans it's it's very finely tuned into these frequencies um and i know like watching you know the football team that i support spurs tottenham hotspur um like last year they had one of their worst seasons um you know for the last kind of 30 years and it was the absolute opposite of what i've been describing about the irish rugby team the vibes were all wrong nobody was happy um, the evidence of that unhappiness was played out on the pitch every single week um, and a frustration and a despair and an exasperation takes over and the love <laughs> the love is is tarnished it becomes a dirty thing <laughs> sorry um, and you're just in a completely different headspace when you think of the team and you know where like where's the where's the change going to come from where's the catalyst going to come from where you know when 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 is the opportunity for catharsis going to present itself who are the leaders going to be who's going to step up who's going to start the revolution who's going to break this this horrible hold this horrible ugly charm how can it be cast off um and it's a very different experience it's a very different experience um now amazingly miraculously spurs have turned a corner for the time being we have a, a new manager uh big Ange from australia Ange Postacoglu, and he's come in and it, it feels like almost overnight he's transformed the culture within tottenham hotspur and they're a very happy camp. And at the time of speaking, uh, they are unbeaten in the Premiership this year. Um, and have been playing some great, great football. And it feels like there's lots more to come. Um, and so I'm getting that, that same lovely feeling that you're like, wow, this is just so kind of deliriously, bewitchingly <laughs> seductive and lovely. Um, and again the rightness it's it, it's a weird thing it, it just but that's it like it's it was it's there in the current spurs squad and it's there in that ireland team um a rightness and the there's a there's a proportionate reaction after a defeat like the other night where the pendulum swings into the the disbelief register and the disbelief is, you know, is as low um, or as far in one direction as the the sense of rightness was in the other direction. And I don't know enough about the psychology of, you know, high the highest level of competitive sport. Um... I think that team had earned the right to 
believe in itself. I think that team had earned the right to believe the hype because they kept on delivering every single game. They kept delivering. And the players, I think, were stunned themselves by the end of the match and sickened. And I don't think there was a single player there that didn't, you know, kill himself on the night to try and wrestle that game uh, onto the narrative that they had written for themselves and that um, it wasn't to be. So um, I found myself on Sunday scrolling online, consuming reaction to the match, looking for some solace and some solidarity in my, my anguish. And there was a, a lovely photograph on social media of Bundy Aki in his Ireland shirt, hand on his chest, looking out to the crowd with very, you know, emotional eyes. And there were like 1,300 comments beneath the photo. Um, and barring, I think about, I saw about four very mean-spirited, kind of triumphalist comments um two two from two triumphalist comments from New Zealand fans and then two really you know vicious castigating dismissive comments from Irish fans um but that's four I probably glanced at a hundred or so which is probably a good sample for the rest um the comments were a, an astonishing astonishingly consistent selection uh, and representation of Irish fans expressing their pride, their admiration, their respect, their love for Bundy Aki and for the rest of that Ireland team. And it was really heartening. <laughs> I was like, this is actually lovely. And it does feel really different to previous World Cup exits. So on one level, even though it felt like the worst of our terrible history of World Cup exits at the quarterfinal stages, I think from Irish fans, there was a real recognition that this is a class act. And it took a phenomenal performance from the All Blacks to stop us. And even what was really, to be honest, a below par performance from the Irish guys on the night, that was still almost good enough to beat the All Blacks. Us at 70%, them at 110%. Um, and that's, you know, in a way, that's what's sickening because you think those Irish guys will know we could have won that game. Um, but I think Irish fans recognise that they deserve our our love, our our gratitude, and it really was. There was a, there was the, again that that synergy again. I, I say it again, because the fan the, the players were expressing that that their sense of connection to the crowd, their desire to deliver for the crowd. Um. So yeah, it was all a, a great big love in. So I don't know. Maybe it'll be a turning point. Maybe there will be growth going forward. Maybe this next, you know, the next time this comes round, that you know the players who were in this World Cup will be like we know how to do it now because that's one of my ongoing uh, my one of my long held theories about 
sporting um you know sporting jinxes um or sporting curses or sporting kind of bogey teams or bogey events um teams or individual sports people depending on their their chosen sport they don't know how to do it until they do it and it's a real kind of catch-22 the only way to know is to do it but you won't know how to do it unless you do it um but maybe a defeat like this is as close to a learning victory uh, as anything else so um yeah i live in hope i live in hope that's um that's quite a chunk dedicated to uh to the irish rugby and i don't even consider myself a real fan <laughs> oh man oh dear i tell you um my 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 daughter was just bereft at the end of that game she was bereft and she couldn't watch it she started watching it and then i was so stressed and tense and edgy watching it uh she left the room to stick on something else and then she came back in at the end of the match for the the losing moments and she just dissolved into tears and cried and this is not hyperbole this is not exaggeration she cried for 20 minutes at least um and i had to set aside my own despair and my own frustration and sense of injustice although totally irrational it wasn't there was no injustice you know new zealand were the better team over the course of the match and deserved their win and hats off to them um but still my sense of injustice <laughs> and i had to just go oh no i don't need to park all this and i'll do my own grieving later i just had to console my daughter and hold her and go it's okay it's just a game the lads did their best and you know it's the way it goes sometimes it feels so unfair and it did feel so unfair oh my god i could have cried with her <laughs> but more on that more on crying with my daughter um in, in a little while um but just as a segue before i um before i get to that um i'm going to just give you a quick a quick breakdown of a couple of movies i watched over the weekend for those of you who are interested in my movie reviews uh, or movie talk in general which is always a a feature of the, the 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 pod um i watched a couple of imperfect but good movies on netflix over the weekend um the first was last night in soho by edgar wright edgar wright's the english director of scott pilgrim versus the world uh he also directed what's called the cornetto trilogy which is Shaun of the dead hot fuzz and the world's end and his last film which was a very big success was baby driver um a music drenched heist movie and edgar wright's 
style is kind of visually witty um it's pastiche it's 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 comic it's droll it's just outright funny uh cleverly shot cleverly edited um really kinetic energetic movies often with tongue placed firmly in cheek and this movie last night in soho was a departure from that probably his first non-comic movie or his first movie without a, a strong comic streak running through it um not winking to the audience and very simply it is the story of a young fashion student from cornwall a rural girl who has been raised latterly by her grandmother because her own mother passed away um because of mental health issues a suicide we are told later in the story um i do not consider that a spoiler and she gets accepted into a fashion college in london and up she comes to london the country girl with her grandmother's words ringing in her ears london isn't all that you know basically be careful you know there be dragons here and the girl in question is played by thomason mckenzie um much hailed young english actress and she's obsessed with the 60s she loves 60s music and 60s fashion and that's part of her draw to london is she wants to go where the swinging 60s happened and <coughs> excuse me sorry that's what her her grandmother's trying to just put that note of caution into her expectations and it just it becomes the movie becomes basically this sort of dark dark psychological horror a fantasy that becomes a nightmare and the our our heroine finds herself having these vivid dreams where she is uh center stage in the 60s in london um but her avatar in her dreams is played by the the great anya taylor joy another amazing young actress um and it's just that the, the movie becomes the story of her trying to trying to save her avatar and then find out who perpetrated horrible crimes against this avatar character and she's tormented um as the dream you know the, the, her nights become ever more horrific and dark and scary and this 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 nighttime visitation to the 60s just becomes more and more dreadful um and there are maybe there are hints of roman polanski's repulsion in there a movie i discussed earlier this year um the kind of psychosexual horror the 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 terror of male sexual predation um and the kind of you know the, the the blanket lifted up on on the 60s um 
you know the kind of like let's 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 go deep here on the real seedy dark side of this and the movie ends in a place that i found myself just being a little bit um less impressed with than i was with the first probably two-thirds of the movie and it it just kind of yeah it goes i'm not you know i don't want to spoil that you know go and watch it decide for yourself um diana rigg features very um pivotally um in the movie terence stamp has a lovely role in it as well um but it's i think what edgar wright does very well his recreation of the 60s that's just kind of edgy and a bit sinister and dangerous i think that's very successful and i think the two actresses at the heart of the the narrative really you know hold it down beautifully in very different performances that have to sort of mirror each other at different times in the story um and thomas and mckenzie's innocence um and kind of purity i guess is is just played with a very kind of believable um played at a very believable pitch by thomas and mckenzie um and so I think it's the, the movie's worth watching for the for the sixties sequences and for the performances of the actresses, um, and Matt Smith is good as well as the um, kind of um, dodgy impresario promoter character who takes the avatar under his very dubious wing. So, um, and of course, there's. Yeah, there, there are those classic 60s tracks there as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, worth investigating, worth checking out. Um, and you can decide for yourself what you make of that final act. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely lots visually to enjoy. Um, and you know, a, a, a nice heroine to, nice, you know, female protagonist to go on the journey with. So, the next movie I watched, which was the following night, um, is a brand new movie that uh, Netflix have put out called Fair Play. And Fair Play is the story of a young couple who are doing well in the world of finance in... Um, it's New York, isn't it? <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm pretty sure it's New York. Um, I don't, you know, this movie didn't have a huge budget, so you weren't getting lots of those kind of establishing shots. But um, yeah, basically, this young couple are working for the same hedge fund company, and they are keeping their relationship top secret because it's against house policy um and one of the higher-ups in the company gets the sack um in a typically kind of financey you know kind of a finance bro explosive scene you know he's swinging his golf club around his office smashing computers 
and not going quietly. So there is a vacancy that the young couple go, oh, who's going to step into that role? And she hears a rumor that it's going to be her lovely man. And they're very excited. But then, um, I'm not sure if this is a spoiler. I haven't seen it. I, haven't, I, I didn't pay much attention to the trailer. But um, she gets the nod ahead of him. And the brilliant Eddie Marsan plays the the boss with uh, that chilly, ruthless streak that we have seen presented so well um, in the world of finance in various movies over the years. Um, he's really, really good. The um, but the movie ultimately then is about what happens to the the couple, what happens to their relationship. When suddenly she's the one wearing the big boy pants and really making things happen and finding favor with the with the boss, um, and what does that do to the, the you know the boyfriend? And it's really yeah, I, I found it really really effective. And again, like last night in Soho. Um, it had an ending that was maybe not where we thought the movie was going. Um, but I think ultimately works and is is faithful to, you know, the characters as they've been set up. Um, but yeah, just, um, just really interesting. Really interesting looking at kind of power power and money in relationships um and gender roles and the the kind of the expectations perhaps of of gender roles within a relationship um really yeah it's just it's got a nasty little edge to it and the actors are the young actress who was in Bridgerton. I didn't watch Bridgerton, so I, I hadn't seen her before. Is it Phoebe Diniver? 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 And Alden Ehrenreich. Have I got his name right? I mean, I know exactly who I'm talking about, but um, again, sometimes it's one of those names that I say it to myself in my head, and I know it, and I say it out loud, and I go, is that it? He played Han Solo in the not-much-loved Solo a Star Wars story from a few years ago. Uh, I actually thought that was good, but a lot of people didn't like it. It was directed by Ron Howard. Um, he was also hilariously funny in the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar. Uh, their sort of spoof of the um, classic kind of studio era in Hollywood. And he played the the cowboy kind of singing lasso trickster cowboy heartthrob who is contractually obliged to step into um a noel coward-esque parlor drama um and (laughs) he just can't do it (laughs) and he comes face to face with ray fines playing a version of laurence olivier um, you know, the classical British thesp 
and he's trying to give this guy elocution um, lessons for the you know the scene he's he he's directing them in, and uh, uh, it plays out to <laughs> the great comic effect. Anyway, that guy, um, and they're very good. They're very good in in this movie, Fair Play, which is written and directed by uh, Chloe Dumont is the the director's name, and I heard her being interviewed, and she spoke about this idea of. I mean, fundamentally, male, she didn't use this phrase, but I'm using it, a male insecurity. Um, and the idea that some men are, are threatened by, a, you know, a, a, their female partner when she starts doing well in life and doing well in her career and perhaps starts to outpace him. And she said that she experienced that. Um, you know, she just kind of intuited it and felt it uh, this kind of shift in the dynamic when she was having more success than her male partners and you know she kind of knew this is this is about power and this is you know my success is not being approved of here I'm not being given permission to enjoy this it is being resented now again I'm, you know, these are not words that came out of her mouth but that is what she was saying um, if you want to hear that interview um, that's on a very recent episode of The Big Picture um, a podcast you've heard me mention before just a general film um, you know film oriented podcast presented by Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins worth checking out if you like movies and I do um, yeah so I just thought yeah it, it was it was interesting and it worked it worked like you know it worked as a movie it worked as a story let's go on a journey with these these crazy kids um and kind of watch it all unravel so um so there you go there's my two movie recommendations um two movies with strong female protagonists pushed to the brink um by in, in, in their respective cases pushed to the brink by an imaginary man a dreamt man and pushed to the brink by a very real man one that they, they share a bed with so check those out if they sound interesting I think uh, they're worth a visit okay so I spoke I spoke before about tears my daughter's tears and crying wanting to cry with my daughter so would you believe at the time of recording, let me see what time it is there now. So this time, this time 10 years ago, my daughter was 45 minutes old. <laughs> Can you believe it? So this time 10 years ago, my daughter was 45 minutes old, which means my daughter has just turned 10. Now, I'm recording this at night, so she's sound asleep at the moment. Um, but I thought I thought I would read uh, something I wrote when she was born. Um, it was an early piece on the the blog, the clear out, which was the um, you know the predecessor and kind of birthing place of this podcast. And 
this was a a post I wrote that was basically trying to encapsulate my my feelings at becoming a father um and it's funny it was it was one of the two most popular things I ever wrote on the blog over the eight and a half years that I was writing pieces there so this this piece writing about my daughter being born um and becoming a parent becoming a father that was really popular and then the other really popular one was the one I wrote about depression and my you know and suicidal ideation so you know again the idea of joy and pain on, in today's episode these these poles <laughs> and, and you know I, I, I try not to think I try not to approach life through, you know using a binary lens either this or that I try to bring a bit more nuance to proceedings but um this piece I wrote was very much about joy and um, if you knew me then, you may have read it then, but if you didn't, this is what I wrote. This piece was published in November 2013 and it was called Want to Change the World? My world has changed Three and a half weeks ago, I sat with my barely born daughter clutched to my chest and wept tears of joy, relief and awe at the gift that had somehow been delivered safely to our care. While my wife was in recovery, I was led to a nursing room and directed to a chair under a heat lamp where I was told to wait until mother and child could be reunited. And so I sat, dazed and amazed, with this little life force in my arms that was partly me and partly my wife, and I supposed partly something uniquely her. Two and a half hours passed while I shushed and becalmed her. I cuddled her, snuggled her and loved her. My tears flowed freely as months of fear and anxiety were released. My unspoken dread of losing her in utero was finally being expressed in a purge of quiet sobs. Each cycle of tears reminding me how high the stakes had felt. Each cycle allowing me the opportunity to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I am not a person of faith, so I wasn't thanking God, but rather life itself or the universe or my wife, for carrying and nourishing her and keeping her safe on her journey to the great outdoors. One of the first things I saw that morning when I looked out the hospital window was the Australian flag, hoisted high and flapping in a strong breeze. So I thanked Australia too, because it is the country which had given me both my wife and our daughter. 
and between the thanks there was singing. My wife is training to be a music therapist and during the pregnancy she liked the idea of us each having a song that we would sing daily to the expanding belly so the baby could become accustomed to our voices. My wife's song was an Aboriginal folk song that she had encountered on her music therapy travels, the melody of which had really appealed to her. I hummed and hawed for ages over my choice, considering several traditional Irish songs, but ruling them out because of their tendency to have 78 verses of miserable lyrics about either British occupation or lost love. In the end, I plumped for pure imagination, a quirky and slightly elusive ballad from the 1971 movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, as sung by the inscrutable and compelling Gene Wilder. Choosing it was almost accidental, an afterthought query, a what-about moment. I found the melody difficult to grasp and had effectively abandoned it when my wife tired of my prevarication and insisted I sit down and sing it to her midriff. I started haltingly, but the song gradually emerged and the tune was fully intact and it felt right. We recorded me singing it and my wife would then play it on her phone throughout the pregnancy when I wasn't around to sing it in the flesh. But in the nursing room, for those two and a half hours as our baby girl nuzzled into my chest, I sang it again and again, and was fascinated to see her appear to respond with a slight tilt of her head. No finger clicks or harmonies, before settling down again. The song opens with the invitation, Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your imagination. It occurred to me how much a child of the imagination I had been endlessly retreating into fantasy worlds of the mind, role-playing and acting out with and without toys, with and without inspiration from books, TV, comics and movies. I also recalled how drawn I was as a little boy to two very distinctive red-haired funny men, Gene Wilder and Danny Kay. Perhaps it was my nascent performer's ego and vanity that made me think I, a grinning redhead full of play and song and endless pratfalls and gurning, was not merely a kindred spirit but a direct descendant, ready to be the keeper of the flame, the comedy flame, the performance flame, the Walter Mitty flame. The more I thought about it, the more I concluded that the song had chosen me, not the other way around. Imagination is the gateway to possibility, 
and I had no problem singing that to my daughter. Also from the song, there is no life I know to compare with pure imagination. Living there, you'll be free if you truly wish to be. I sang quietly and tremulously, not wanting to share the song with anyone but her, and singing not as performance, but as pure communication, as if asking, can you hear me? I'm singing to you. Can you feel me breathing with you? Can you hear me offering you my love, my care, my protection? Can you hear me asking you to share this life with me, with us? As I sat and sang and wept and smiled, a surreal delirium of joy and prophecy flitted across my brain. As I saw her life unfolding from baby to little girl, to adolescent, to young woman, to mother, but always as daughter. And I found myself overflowing with hopes and dreams for her happiness and safe passage through whatever life might put in her path. What follows is what I thought. I hope first and foremost that our love for you helps you find a way to love yourself to love yourself compassionately, not egotistically, to value and approve of yourself as a good person, deserving of life's opportunities and capable of facing its challenges. I hope you get the best of us and don't judge us too harshly for our frailties and blind spots. I hope we earn your trust and respect and that we are people you will be happy to come to for help, but are unafraid to disagree with. I hope you will feel safe with us to express yourself honestly and fearlessly. I hope you are untrammeled in ambition and self-belief, but that you will have the resolution to face failure with honesty and dignity and recover with renewed appetite for growth so that your victories and successes will be all the sweeter. I hope your compassion and empathy for the world you live in and the people around you is tempered by laughter and gaiety and dancing. If you are like me, you will be a serious clown. If you are like your mother, you will light up every room you walk into. I hope you are a strong, independent woman who smacks down the merest hint of sexism and feels no need to submit to any dance dictated by archaic codes of patriarchal exclusivity. I hope you pursue a life that is tethered to your intellectual and emotional convictions. I hope you are fulfilled, satisfied and respected. I will always think you are beautiful, but I hope when you look at yourself that your own assessment of your beauty is not limited to the narrow confines of toxic popular media and photoshopped 
airbrushed paradigms of femininity. See health. See strength. See power. See self-worth. See you. I hope we give you every chance to be the best you you can be. I hope we prove that we deserve you. I hope we make you proud of where you came from. I hope love comes easily to you. The giving and receiving of it. Be happy. Be safe. Be brilliant. Be loved. Be loved. Beloved, beautiful baby girl. We love you. There are no certainties, no absolutes. Everything is unknown. All we can offer is hope and the possibility of happiness. We can place her hand on the door handle of life and quote pure imagination. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to, do it. Want to change the world? There's nothing to it. It's quite a, <laughs> it's quite a journey to go back and reread that. Um, I think it really did capture where my head was at. It did capture the um, I don't know the the, the 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 purity of my my love and my hopes for my daughter, for our daughter, and. Yeah, 10 years feels like it's gone by in uh, a finger click. It's incredible. And I feel absolutely blessed that I have this amazing person in my life. Um, she is, yeah. Look, I don't think it's particularly interesting. <laughs> for you to hear me gush about my daughter um she's a really cool little kid and you know she's funny and she's fiery and she's sensitive um and she's you know surprising and thoughtful um and very typical of you know like i guess a kid of her age in many you know many ways that would be recognizable to anyone who's known kids of that age you know but um yeah I, I i kind of marvel at her and you know as i've regularly regularly um spoken about on the the podcast from you know the very first episode you know she and i clash <laughs> we clash and battle on a regular basis but um I, I, I cherish it 
and we're I feel like we're we're pretty tight and I'm grateful that it appears to be working so far and um, I do not take it for granted I do not take it for granted at all and I just feel grateful um, and it's interesting the only the only other thing and, and I'm, I'm going to finish on this um, the only other thing I was reflecting on was I had no template I had no template for how to parent a daughter how to be a father to a daughter that was something I had that was something I had no experience of and um, you know being being one of four boys in my family and really only spending time in you know the, the, the houses of my, my childhood friends or adolescent friends all boys all boys um, you know one or two of them had sisters but I didn't see much of them and I didn't see much fathering you know I didn't see kind of father daughter dynamics uh, and that's only occurred to me for the first time today I was going oh right yeah I didn't have anything to see here now my girlfriends I used to see the father daughter dynamics there and um, interesting dynamics um some fractious some really nice and yeah and in, in, in some cases I didn't see you know the father wasn't around or whatever but um, I'm not sure what my conclusion is to that other than you know like and that this is mad right this is mad because of, of what we know now but something like the bloody Cosby show <laughs> Bill Cosby, America's dad, um, renowned sexual predator, Bill Cosby, but in his in his role as uh, Cliff Huxtable in the Cosby Show from the eighties, he um, like that just like that, this just popped in my head today. I was going, was that the model? <laughs> you know, this middle class African American doctor and his beautiful wife and his lovely cute and funny kids in their lovely home um was bill cosby the model i don't know that's that seems a bit weird but maybe he was you know and i can look at that in isolation and take it on its own merits um i mean he he seemed like a good dad thoughtful caring funny warm safe um acting folks um yeah so i don't know i mean i'm not i'm not sitting here i'm not sitting here going that's the reason <laughs> if i've done well as a dad i i i owe i owe bill cosby credit i'm just saying that that came in my head today and i'm sort of thinking it through here going was that it because that was a template um and no other template is jumping into my head right now or has come in my head in the last 48 hours when I was considering doing this on, on, on this episode. Um, I mean, my own dad was very, is, continues to be, you know, always very temperate um, and warm and calm. Um, I've, I've failed. I've failed in that regard. I have that in me. 
but I'm a bit I'm a little bit schizophrenic with my daughter. Um I get I can get very cranky and very shouty and loud and I don't um I don't you know, I, there's no pride um in that part of my parenting. Um that's something I continue to go No, I don't like this and I very much doubt my daughter likes it. But um the other side is um I think that's where the bond comes. Um anyway, look. I'll keep doing what I, I can do. I'll keep trying to be um a good person in her life and someone she can trust and feel safe with and talk to and as I was the other night, be um be someone she can cry with. Uh, just like I cried all over her when she was born. <laughs> that was her baptism. So, happy birthday, Maeve. What a little legend she is. I love her very much. And on that sentimental note, I will bid you adieu. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for choosing my podcast over the very many others that are out there. Um... And please, uh, you know, do what you can to help spread the word. This is an independent podcast and sharing it, recommending it, writing reviews, rating it, subscribing, that all really helps boost the the show, give it a little lift, give it a greater chance of pushing through. Um, and you can even support with your pocket if you want to use the Patreon link, Patreon dot com forward slash the clear out you can do so there for the you know the price of a, a cup of tea or a smoothie or a sandwich or a pint um and that's a that's a great uh it's a great validation and affirmation of what i'm doing here um and if you don't if you can't afford that don't worry about it you know hopefully someone else can but um they need to know about the podcast first so that's where you can help me um and I know, I know the people who listen um, <laughs> because they're friends. <laughs> and I know the people who occasionally post a bit of love uh, on social media. And I really appreciate it. Shout out to Mark. Thanks, Mark. I see you, bro. I see you. I feel you. Um, it's great. It gives me it's, it gives me a great little boost. And I go, cool. I'm not I'm not insane to be sitting here once a week talking to myself. You may have heard moments ago in the background the wails, the plaintive cries of a kitten because Ruby the cat was at the window and it's um, probably about half eleven at night now. So I need, to go and, I need to go and bring her indoors out of the cold October night. Okay, thank you very much for listening and I will be back next week with something else. Take care, go safely, mind yourselves. All the best. Bye.